Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. All right, let's, let's go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we look into the perfect law of liberty, that our hearts are strengthened in Jesus' mighty name. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. I want to start from there. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, Study to show yourself, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. But this is what I, I want to pick. Rightly dividing the word of truth, the King James Version says. The NIV says, correctly handling the word of truth. Move that, back, that version back to the New King James. The NIV says, correctly handling the word of truth. The New King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, if we talk about rightly dividing, the word of truth, it also means that it can be wrongly divided. Right? Are you here? Okay. If we talk about correctly handling the word of truth, it means that it can be handled incorrectly. Now, I have said this before, and I'll say it again, that when it, when it comes to the temptation of Jesus, it was not in the quoting of scriptures, but in the application of scriptures. That was the temptation. Because the scriptures that the devil quoted were correct. The scriptures that Jesus quoted were correct. But the interpretation was what? Was wrong. So in Bible studies, interpretation is a big deal. Uh, so what we're doing with the Old Testament prophetic scriptures is to help us get accurate interpretation of scriptures. And then as you begin to study the Bible, you must learn to read yourself of certain mental images you have in your head. For instance, as, as a Bible teacher, I'm very careful when I watch what you call uh, Christian films, okay? Because, you know, sometimes when you watch the story of Moses and you watch all of those Ten Commandments and all that, if you are not careful because your visual image sometimes is stronger than the image of what you read, you're interpreting the scriptures with the mindset of what happened in the film. And you know... Because it's a film, they put one or two things to just make it flow. So I, I, I personally don't kind of, I know when I was small, they made me watch. But when I started having my own uh, decisions, I am a bit careful of how I watch. Now, because sometimes, I'll, and I'll go, I'll go there when I'm talking about the temptation of Jesus. Even when, and that's one thing that uh, I try my best, especially if I have people who act drama around me to try as much as they can to get close to scriptures. You know, because for instance, if I mention the devil now, what comes to your mind? Black guy with a tail and effect and horn. You see, that image can affect your interpretation of scriptures. For instance, the temptation of Jesus. So when I talk about the temptation of Jesus, what comes to your mind easily? The black guy took Jesus up to a mountain and showed him the whole world. 
The highest mountain in the world is Mount Everest. It's 29,029 20, feet above sea level. If you stay on that mountain, you can't see the whole world. So it wasn't a black guy taking Jesus and saying, let's climb. Let's climb. We'll soon get there. We'll soon get there. And then positioning on top of the mountain and say, look around. But you see, if you have the image that the devil is somebody with horn and feck and everything, immediately you're reading the temptation of Jesus. Your mind is just telling you he held his hand and took him up to that mountain. But the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest, 29,000 feet above sea level. So you see that, again, that means you have to go and read that place again to understand how the temptation happened. Are we, are we together? Okay. That one is free. That's, that's to say welcome. So keys to understanding the prophets. We talked about four keys, essentially, last week. The prophets preached in a specific historical, cultural, social, and political context. Okay? So we say, ask yourself, who wrote this book? When and why was it written? What was going on in the author's life and the life of the people? What were the social conditions of that day? What was the culture like? For instance, I have said it here. Let me finish this now. What was the political situation of that day? Okay, let me come back. What was the culture like? You know, I've, I've explained it here before. When we look at feet washing, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. So the question you need to ask yourself is, what was the culture like in the day that that happened and I explained to you that in those days the roads were dusty and when you walked down to um, you went to visit someone you know uh, the, 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 the lowest servant right will take water and wash the feet of the people who had come to visit and so when they all sat there everybody was a big boy nobody wanted to serve and Jesus had to do that so what Jesus was teaching us there was not a key to the miraculous Jesus was teaching us Jesus wasn't teaching us a pattern of feet washing service rather Jesus was teaching us what he himself had preached in Matthew that says the greatest amongst you must become servant of all so the feet washing exercise was a lesson on humility are you, are you following this? Okay. I, I can't remember. Maybe like a year ago or something, the Pope went to visit uh, the prison. The Catholic Pope went to visit some prison in Argentina or something like that. And then he took, he kissed the feet of one of the prisoners, washed the feet of one of the prisoners. That's, that's what's going That's it. It's not going to set a pattern of feet kissing services in the Catholic Church. The Pope was rather using it as an example of humility. Are you following this? Okay. So, what did the writer know about God? What is the time period covered in the book? Then number two, remember the prophetic speech was also poetic speech. So, there's poetic speech in it. Amos chapter 5 verse 24. You can pull that up. Let justice roll like water and all that. Number four, the primary concern of the prophet was with his immediate historical context. So the prophet, even though he wanted to interpret something larger, the prophet was, was very concerned about what was going on right there, right there, his context, because he was dealing with a specific set of people. Now, number three, the primary concern, okay, that's number three. Number four, the center of all prophetic preaching was the unique covenant relationship between God and Israel. So you must understand that in, majorly in the Old Testament, God was dealing between himself and Israel. The, 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 the center of the dealings was actually between him and what? 
and Israel as a nation because what God was using, what God was doing is that he was taking Israel uh, as an example to other nations. So God wanted to do something for the whole of humanity. Just as he took Adam and, he, uh, and Adam was the pilot of the human race, he also took Israel as a nation to show how the holy nation should work. So most of the Old Testament writings were concerned about the covenant that God had with Israel. Now that is why when we are also interpreting it in the light of the New Testament, we must also realize that even though part of us is connected to that covenant, we are actually not part of that covenant. Praise God. The covenant that God has with us is called the new covenant. So the covenant God has with us that brought the Gentiles into the faith is the covenant that Jesus Christ entered on our behalf. So also sometimes when you start interpreting the Old Testament, you need to ask yourself, in the light of which covenant was this written? Praise God. Praise God. Okay, so let's go to how to interpret the prophets. How to interpret the prophets. Now, that's what we want to just deal with this evening. As with every other type of literature, the interpretation of prophecy requires understanding of the text historical background, the context, the purpose, and the language. Please don't forget what I shared with you last Wednesday on how some of the books were written before Israel went to exile. Right, and some of the books were written in exile, and some were written where when they left exile. Okay, thus, for example, the accounts of Baalism that's the worship of Baal within the northern kingdom of Israel during the time of Jeroboam II and his successor in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 24, provides information concerning the background of Hosea's condemnation of the nation for Baal worship. So if you read the book of Hosea and you see the way the prophet Hosea was attacking the nation of Israel concerning the worship of Baal, you will also understand that it was dealing more with the introduction of Baal, of Baal worship in 2 Kings chapter 14 verse 24. And in reading the Old Testament, in God's dealing with Israel, you must understand that God was very particular about Israel being separated unto him as a holy nation. And so some of the cultures that were around Israel were brought into, uh, into Israel. Uh, and, and, and God was big about those things. What does that tell us today in terms of application? Is that God wants us to be separated unto himself. And, and I also see that also because we are almost in a struggle where we allow the world to dominate us. We allow whatever is going on in the world to influence us. It's almost difficult to stand out as a believer because we're so... We so want to be relevant that we don't mind the world even teaching us how to go about it. All right? I, I, I well, I, not like I have anything against it, but, you know, most times you, you discover that, uh, for those who sing and into music, you discover that uh, a, a secular musician, for instance, brings a dance, and uh, a dance starts raining, and then, bam, everybody in the church starts dancing it, consciously and unconsciously. And then you say, oh, why are you dancing this way? Then they go with the theory that, ah, all the dance belongs to God. The devil had nothing. Then my question is, then why weren't you the one that started it? That's why I always have a problem. Why don't you start it? Right? God has all dance. It's okay. You want to dance whatever you want to dance. It's okay. It's your body and whatever song you're listening to. 
But then you now wait, and then somebody who is not born again starts the dance. Then you say, well, it's actually my father's own. And then you pick it up. And then you wait again, and somebody else is starting. Do, do you understand that? So if, he, if it's your father's own, you should own it, meaning you should initiate it. Do you? Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, but that's not the question. The question is not that we're saying the dance is not for the devil. The question is, it makes us feel relevant. It makes us feel current. If people are dancing this way and we're dancing that way, it makes us look old school. So, and then we can't really go to the club. So, yeah, we just put it in. You know, and then if you say, hey, why are you dancing that way? Then it becomes, oh, no, no, you don't need to be that harsh. You don't need to. You see, but the challenge is this, right? God, is, God did not send us here to be relevant. He sent us here to change the world. We cannot change a world we constantly envy. You, you, do, do you understand? Because, you know, I tell people, and I jokingly say this, but it's true, that if we take, for instance, heaven and hell out of the Christian faith, a lot of people will not be born again. Because a lot of people really are not here because they want to know about God. They just want, don't want to spend time with the devil. That's the truth. So it's, it's like, how much can I just get away with? Like, how much can I just put in to secure my entrance? And then how much of myself? Praise God. So you must realize that God was big about Israel not copying the world. And so, why am I saying this? Because a lot of times we read about the anger of God in the Old Testament, and then we, we kind of take that anger right into our age, but you now ask yourself, what was God really angry about? What was the context of that anger? It was the context of them, you know, mixing themselves up with the world. Praise God. And if there's anything that angers God today, it's the same thing. Not living a separate life unto the Lord. Praise God. Okay, so it is important to understand how do we interpret some of the prophetic books. It is important to understand the historical context of the prophecy before seeking to interpret it. So if you read something in the scriptures, you, you, you need to take a bit of time to study. And like, what's the context? Let me have the image of Daniel. Let me have the image of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Praise God. You remember the dream that Daniel, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2? About the, the image, the golden image. Can I have that image please? Okay. So this, this was the kind of dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had, right? And he saw this golden image. And it was the image of Daniel. Okay. Now, when he had this image, the, the king had this image, Daniel interpreted it. And that is one mistake people make in terms of dreams and interpretation. Right? So, sometimes, I, I, I think I've taught it in the Ari Women Fellowship. I spent about three days teaching them on deep dream and interpretation. You know, sometimes people just dream and then they take it literally and just take it that way. It's the same thing. Sometimes people read scriptures and take it literally. But when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, he asked Daniel to interpret it. And this was the interpretation that Daniel gave. He said, uh, the head of gold was Babylon. And then that was between 605 to 5 to about 539. Then you had um, the breast of silver was Persia. 
The thighs of brass was Greece, and the legs of iron was Rome. And then the fifth was iron mixed with clay. It was the divided nations of Western Europe. And he says, in the days of that, the Lord set up his kingdom. Now, what was actually happening was that these were the nations that were governing, that were ruling. And so, in interpreting the image of Daniel, for instance, you must, you must take into recognition at which of this period did any of the events happen. Praise God. I'm currently studying something on church history, and it's, it's amazing. Like if you just read church history, it's such a beautiful thing. Just knowing the, how the church evolved and the things that came up in the church. And if you understand a bit of church history, it helps you to also understand uh, the season that we're in, even as a nation and as the body of Christ. So sometimes it's important to understand the context of which the prophecy is taking place before you interpret it. Okay, <laughs> let me give you something. I'm not going to interpret it. I'll just give you, then you go and study. So, you can now dig deeper when Daniel was praying and he said the prince of Pesha stopped his prayers. All right, the prince of Pesha stopped his prayer. So, you need to now understand who is the prince of Pesha? And how did the prince of Pesha stop the prayers of Daniel? Okay, number two. Discover the type of prophetic oracle and its beginning and its ending. Now, in reading the prophetic writings, there were certain things called the prophetic oracles. That means the speakings of the prophets. Essentially, I'll give you four oracles. There was the oracle of salvation. Which means that when they were talking, they were talking about salvation. Then there's the oracle of disaster. Most times this was talking about the period of exile. And then there's the oracle against the nations. Now the oracle against the nations was God speaking against the nations that were influencing Israel. Okay, so for instance, you cannot take the oracle against the nations and begin to apply it to yourself. There is a context to that. Let's read something in Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1 and verse 3. Amos chapter 1 and verse 3. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not turn away its punishment. Because they have treasured Gilead with implements of iron. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they took the captive, the whole captivity, to deliver them up to Edom. Verse 9. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Ty, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they delivered the whole captivity to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Verse 11. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Edom and for four. So you realize that this was an oracle against the nations. And God was speaking against them for certain things that he did. So if you really want to understand 
this chapter of Amos, you now have to go back to say, okay, what did these nations do? What, what, what was these nations doing? Or what is it exactly that God was against? Do you, do you understand this? So that's why, it, that's, that's why you also see that somehow the study of the Old Testament is a bit tedious and most people want to you know, just walk away from it because there's a lot of work. Like, so what's my business? I can just go to the fact that it says I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't care what happens to Edom. Praise God. So, so you realize that it takes a lot of work to be able to particularly enjoy the Old Testament. And I must, I must be honest with you, right? Even as a preacher and a pastor, I find more joy teaching the New Testament. But when I began to take my Bible classes, uh, I was telling one of my pastor friends today, my first two years in school, I realized that my lowest scores were in the Old Testament. And then it began to reveal a weakness in my own development. Right? So I looked through my library, I discovered there were no books of the Old Testament. Right? Everything was just on. So I think that's where my interest began to pick up. Like, no, there's a deficiency in our training. Even though we dwell in the Pauline epistles, we don't have to be ignorant of the whole of scriptures. So that began to you know, build my interest in the Old Testament. I, right now, I enjoy studying the Old Testament because it just drives you deeper to understand church history, to understand nations, to know what God is calling us to do. And, you know, the whole Bible just begins to come alive again. Praise God. All right. Then there are lawsuit oracles. The lawsuit oracles are like oracles where God, God is like God is taking the children of Israel to court. You know, sometimes you read and God will say, and God is speaking now through the prophet and say, you know, judge between us. Let's go to Hosea. Let me show you an example. And it's interesting how God dealt with Israel, right? And Israel were very stubborn. I mean, the guys would be in bondage. God would send a deliverer. You know, God actually did not want them to have a king. God, the design of Israel was the fact that God will be their king and they'll live by the law of God. But they said, no, they want a king like other nations. They were supposed to be a theocratic government. That means led by God and his laws. But they said, no, they want a king like other nations. And God had to give them king. You know, the children of Israel typ typifies our modern day stubbornness. You know, this is what God wants, but no, you don't want that. You prefer this. You know, this is sin, but you just go right ahead and do it. And you know, you're going to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> and that's how they dealt with God. And they, they were not appreciative of the fact that God single-handedly took them and wanted to use them as an example to the whole world of what the holy nation is. That even when God came in the form of man, in the person of Jesus, and walked the streets of Galilee and spoke to them about the new covenant, they were still the ones that crucified him. Praise God. You know, the scripture says that if the princes of this world have known, they would not have crucified the king of glory. Right? We read that in the context of what the devil did in the crucifixion of Christ. But we realize that actually the crucifixion of Christ was engineered by the religious people. Yeah. The crucifixion of Christ was engineered by the religious people. 
They were the ones that crucified Christ. They were the ones that aided the crucifixion of Christ. And it's the same thing today. It's the religious people that fight the truth of God's word. It's religious people. No, nobody else. You go, you go on Facebook and you see all the fights about stuff, stuff, stuff. It's Christians. You hardly see a Muslim comment. You hardly even see a Muslim fight online about something. It's just Christians. It's Christians that call out their pastors, compare pastors, bring pictures of private jets, form YouTube clip. It's, it's Christians that just do all this. And you know why? When the Great Commission is not our focus, we end up fighting ourselves. Because you know, people are even lost without Christ. That's not our business. We just want to show who knows more Greek. You know, I, 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 well, I'm still in the group, but my number is just there. I'm not really participating anymore. And then they'll bring out these Bible topics, and you know, you're trying to explain, and then somebody will just come with bah, bah, bah. Some people even say the Holy Spirit said, I'm like, yeah, the Holy Spirit can't tell you this. This is what is written. You know, it's a rema. They just got this rema. They were sleeping two o'clock in the night. They were sleeping. God just woke them and showed them this scripture. You were sleeping two o'clock in the night. God woke you and showed you a scripture. Probably sleep was still in your eyes. You didn't read it properly. <laughs> and then, so you know what I just do now? When they just say, I just say, okay. When they just say, I say, okay. Because you realize that once your mind is religiously formed, it is difficult to learn. Are you following this? That's why it's best, it's, not that it's better. It is easier to train a new believer just coming up in the things of God than somebody who knows already. Because as you start training, then he's checking. No, no. In 1972, this is not what we read. <laughs> Praise God. But you see, if you really want to grow in God and understand scriptures, you must do what? You must be open to learn. I told you now. What started prompting me to study the Old Testament? So I went to school and I realized, man, I can't be having all these low marks in the Old Testament. It shows something. Right? And that's about being honest. I can decide to say, well, they don't understand the new things that God is showing us. Yeah, but you're failing. <laughs> Praise God. So it's important for us to humble ourselves and open ourselves to the Word of God. And you know, sometimes people say, well, there are too many interpretations in Christianity. Which one is the true one? You study too. As you keep studying, the Spirit of God is going to bear witness to your spirit when you hear a true message. Because that becomes what you compare. Remember what I started teaching you before we got into here. The Berean believer, you've got the outline. Go back, read all the scriptures. You see, you cannot grow if you are not patient enough to study. That's the problem. It's not morning devotion. Uh, you know, you just look, uh, today victory is yours. I read, read one scripture. And victory is ours. And you have victory in Jesus' name. Make this confession. I shall be victorious. Pray in tongues for five minutes. And you have done devotion. <laughs> You know, one day someone handed me a devotional booklet like that. And I read it in one sitting. You know, I just read it. Yeah, I, I was planning to use it for devotion. But I read it, I read it, I read it, I read it, I read it. Before I know, I was at the end of the month. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but it wasn't heavy enough. It's like giving me milk to drink. You know, like, I mean, praise God. You need to grow. Amen. So you need to discover the type of prophetic oracle that was used. Number three, 
Determine the prophecy you are studying if it has a broader application. Is it, that means that even though the prophecy was said at this time, does the application, is it like, um, does he have an application for just now or in the future? Okay? Now also, you need to be very, very, very detailed in this because this is one problem people also have when they teach eschatology. There are things that are already fulfilled, but people say they are going to happen when Jesus comes. It's, it's because they don't understand that. Praise God. <laughs> Let me give you, I'll just be dropping certain things I should go and study. You know, sometimes people talk, talk about the rapture where they have limited understanding of that, I can tell you. And they say, well, Jesus is going to come like in the days of Noah. Jesus is going to come in the, like in the days of Noah. How many of you have heard that? Okay, that Jesus is going to come in the days of Noah, right? Right. No, it's not a trick question. Just be bold. You know, it's, I was like that too. When my dad is asking questions, I just like, yes, no, no, yes, yeah. No. Simple question. In the days of Noah, who was taken? The righteous or the wicked? Okay. Determine if the prophecy you are studying has a broader application. So that, that means you need to go and study that, Abby. I like the quietness in the church. This quietness is born of the Spirit. It, it's simple now. I've not said anything. I've just asked a simple question. Jesus was coming like in the days of Noah. Thank God we have the picture of the days of Noah. Who was left and who was taken in the days of Noah. The wicked were destroyed. The righteous was left. Okay. So you see that there's a disconnect right there in the teaching right there, right? It's like a disconnect. Okay. Can I give you another one to study further? No. <laughs> I was like, that's my only hope. Please don't. <laughs> okay, I'll give you another one. John 14. In my father's house are many mansions. Okay. Number one, a mansion and a house, which is bigger. And in my father's house, there are many mansions. So how does a mansion, mansions, fit into a house? Say spiritual. Okay, so if you say spiritual, how does someone not tell you that God showed him that they are building your mansion? So there's a disconnect right there. Is there a disconnect? There is. Or there's none. It's simple. And this is, it's simple now. There's nothing here. It's just simple. I'm just asking simple questions. I'm not saying anything. I'm just asking simple questions. A mansion and a house, which is bigger? A mansion. How does a mansion fit into a house? And someone say it is spiritual. Okay, no problem. I agree. If it is spiritual, how does somebody now show up in a couple of years and say they were in a vision and God showed them that they were building them a physical house? So there's a disconnect. Except Jesus did not understand English, but he understood. So you will understand what the word mansion is if you study the Greek word mansion. And it means the word moner. It means abode. It means house. It means room. It means family. 
Okay. Let's do the, we'll, we'll talk about that some other day. Let's go ahead. But just go back and study. Don't even take my words for it. Just go back and study it. Okay? The thing for me is when I teach you, I don't teach you like I'm infallible. I teach you like you can question it. Go take your scriptures, read again, study, take other translations, read again. Don't die with the King James. Praise God. Go back and study everything again. Praise God. All right. So prophetic pronouncements. Okay. When determining prophecy, you are studying has a broader application. It's got me distracted there. So in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, Joel actually talks about the outpouring of the Spirit. So, but you realize that even though Joel talked about the outpouring of the Spirit, what Joel was actually referring to was it the day of Pentecost. Do you get it? So, if you are reading Joel, you must also not feel like, okay, wow, it means it is it's like this guy is prophesying about something that is not in his day. So, there is a broader application than the day of Joel, which is Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 16. Yeah, 16, 17. So, Acts 2, 16. Praise God. Hallelujah. I mean, you guys are going to enjoy Wednesdays. Now, Wednesdays, we're going to be going just from now to the end of the year. Wednesday is going to be like Bible school. You know, the truth of the matter is that in the local church, Acts 2, who is there? Acts chapter 2, verse 16. I was waiting for you. You know, if the, if the church will do its work, right, you should, every believer should be a theologian. That's the truth. Praise God. Acts chapter 2 verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the what? In the what? In the last days, says God. So you realize that he was quoting Joel chapter 2. And, 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 and um, Peter said, this is what Joel prophesied. That's what we're experiencing. So Joel prophesied it, but we're experiencing it. Then see the funny thing. 2019 years ago, he says he's in the last days. Because that prophecy says in the last days. <laughs> right. Hello. Joel says in the last day. Right. Yes, sir. And then he comes to Acts and says, This is that which was prophesied. That means the apostles were in the last days. Okay. Praise God. So the, the next question we need to ask ourselves is the use of the word last day. Right? Okay. So prophetic pronouncement. <laughs> prophetic pronouncement frequently employ figurative language. So sometimes when you also read the scriptures, there are figurative language. So you need to know which languages are figurative and which are literal and which are just straightforward. For example, a shepherd and a horn could symbolize kingship. Right? So you can find that in Daniel 7.24. Then you have the phrase, the cows of Bashan, was used as a negative image in Amos chapter 4 verse 1. In Isaiah 44, verse 23, you see the singing of the hills. So when he said the singing of the hills, it did not literally mean that the hills are going to jump and they're going to start singing. What it just means is that there's going to be what? Joy in what? In the land. 
So it's the same thing when people read the mark of the beast. What comes up in their mind? That they're going to write six and six and six. On your forehead. But do you realize that Paul says, I bear in my body the mark of Christ? Do you realize Paul said that? I bear in my body what? The mark of Christ. So what's the mark of Christ? 777. Seven, seven. <laughs> Praise God. So, but you realize that we should actually spend more time teaching you the mark of Christ than the mark of the beast? Maybe after now we'll go and study something on the Antichrist. But you realize that every time they said this political person was the Antichrist, it ended up being wrong. Right? Sometimes they said it was uh, who again? Abacha made the list. Wow, I never, you know, but all those guys, Hitler was the Antichrist, Barack Obama was the Antichrist, then somebody goes on, does their name, Stalin, and all those guys, but they end up being wrong, because the word Antichrist is very simple, it's anti, something against Christ. So it's a spirit that fights against Christ. And John said in 1st John, 3rd John, that the Antichrist is even amongst us. And it's simple, Antichrist. You know, sometimes, don't suspend your English sense when you're reading the scriptures. It's just simple. Antichrist. Right? Anti is what? Against. Christ. Yeah. So, it's that which fights against Christ, even in your life. So, the Antichrist is not a person. It's a system. It's a spirit. Of that fights against Christ. 66 in your, hand, in your forehead. What's your forehead? The way you think. It's that which fights against Christ in your thoughts, your thinking pattern that rebels against Christ. And what is it in your hand? Your actions, the way you walk. So your thoughts and your actions that rebel against Christ is what is the mark of the beast. Six is the number of man. Six, six, six is the fullness of man, fullness of flesh. That's what it means. So you buy tin tomatoes and you're looking for the number. You buy stuff. <laughs> and meanwhile, so many anti-crystal thoughts in your head. Praise God. You must re remember that you are spirits. Remember that. Praise God. Okay, let's leave that. Let's leave that. Our time is going. Okay? So, let me give an example. Genesis chapter 37 verse 9. You remember the dream of Joseph, right? What did Joseph dream? He says, I see the sun, I see the moon, and I see the 11 stars bowing down to me. What did the father say? If you read Genesis 37 Verse 9 down, the father now said, does it mean that I and your mother and your brothers are going to bow to you? Now, let me, let, me, let me say this now. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Let me say this now. Do you realize that if the brother, if the father did not interpret that dream, we can actually think that one day the stars is going to bow to Joseph? It's easy for you because the father interpreted it. So when you read that... Christ is coming on the clouds and on his ties is written righteousness and his mouth is a sword of fire and his eyes are flames of fire. You know, if you see someone like that, you're going to run away. <laughs> Praise God. So, so you sense that? So it makes the book of Revelation very easy if you understand how the Bible is written. You know, say 24 elders around the throne, and you just have people say, Well, when we get to heaven, we're just going to say, Holy, 
holy, holy. If you do that for one year, you'll be bored. I remember, ah, my God. I remember one of our pastors when I was growing up. That's actually why I accepted the Lord in the first place. Before I really, I accepted the Lord many times. So it's going on for altar call. Different motivations. One, they showed us this film like people were going to hell, fire, burning. You had people shouting, give me water, give me water, give me water. Finish, sweep all the frames. They want to accept the Lord. Bam, we took off. (laughs) All of us ran. Jesus, take all of us. <laughs> and then another time, one of my pastors there, I won't mention the church, in the village, he just said, heaven is a beautiful place. That, you know, the way God has created heaven, if you just say, my, my, come, my, my will just come. If you just say, rise, come, rise, you just come. Finish teaching like that. Say, who wants to accept the Lord? Of course. In my mind, I just, I, you know, growing up in the village, I just have my mind that, when I get to heaven, first thing, chicken, first. That's it. First me, before I even greet Jesus Christ. Chicken, come. <laughs> you know? But you, you realize that that's why we couldn't even serve God properly because we had the wrong motivation. You understand this? It's wrong motivation. The gospel was never preached. People preached the figments of their imagination. And let me tell you something. If you've been taught something consistently over a period of time, your dream will be that way. Like now, I can't dream that I went somewhere and I saw somebody wearing a ring and they dream. You know, it can't happen. Why? From the scriptures, I know it's not true. Are you following what I'm saying? So, where, the way you are taught will affect your dream because that's the way you understand that thing to be. Praise God. Okay. <laughs> so, Genesis 37, we see a figurative language, right? Of... Uh, of of um, Joseph, his brothers. Now let's look at how Jesus also used figurative languages. When he said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Right? He says, out of your belly shall do what? Shall flow rivers of what? Of living water. Now, if Jesus did not interpret it, do you not think that some of us would have made mistakes that at a point in our life, water is going to really fall out? Yeah, we would have thought about it. We just feel, yes, it's God can do all things. But the scripture now says, this he said, speaking of what? The Holy Spirit. So when John saw the many waters, he talked about what? That the many waters represented what? Nations, tribes, tongues, and languages. So waters, in the scriptures, in some of the scriptures, refer to the Holy Ghost. Waters, in some of the scriptures, refer to what? To people. So when he says that in Jude, that these are clouds without water, what was he talking about? They were people without what? The Spirit. Do you understand that? Are you here? Now, so that scripture gives us a definition of what clouds are in the Bible. That clouds in the Bible, excuse me, is not this thing. Right. Okay. You remember when the children of Israel were coming from the wilderness? What was the prophetic word about them? Who are these coming like clouds from the wilderness? Are you following this now? So it tells us 
in scriptures that clouds referred to people. So put one and one together, and then you can build from that. Symbolic acts also must be noted. So in scriptures, there are certain symbolic acts. Okay? Now, Ahijah's symbolic action and prophecy to Jeroboam concerning the division of the kingdom. So in 1 Kings 11.29, you see the prophet Ahijah tearing the cloth of the king. Now, one of the things we have also taken a lot, especially in our own day and age, is a lot of people come and say, this is a prophetic act, this is a prophetic act, this is a prophetic act. And then that's where they now carry salt, it's prophetic act, carry cane, it's prophetic act. The truth of the matter is that God was giving them prophetic act because they couldn't hear God clearly. You now have the Holy Spirit. God can speak to you in clear terms. Very rarely will God give a New Testament believer prophetic act. I, I don't know if you get what I'm saying. It's like God couldn't speak to them clearly and he had to use that to demonstrate. It's like, how do I put it now? Put, that, put up that scripture for me. Um, 1 Kings eleven twenty nine. Let me give you this example. Eh? It's like my, my, my daughter in primary school or you've got a child in primary school. And then you want to teach them counting, right? What, what is that thing you do? Five on my head or what? Okay, they do something like ten on my head, six on my fingers, and then they start counting, right? Do you, do you get the point? Now, it's, 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 a, it's an act. It's something for the children to understand the, the act of counting. We used to use um, cover bottles and all stuff. Yeah, but they don't use that now. They use five in my head, five in my fingers, six in my leg. Now, then you now have somebody in the university, and they say 24 plus 24, and then the person starts going five in my head. Three in my, I'm like, is something wrong with you? Do, do you get what I'm saying? Now, five on my head, six on my finger, and all that was good because you were still a baby. But when you now became matured, it is even irresponsible for you now to be saying five on my head. Imagine like you're a manager in a company and your boss say we will need 29, you know, we will need 29 rods and 10 windows. And you go five on my head. <laughs> you know they are going to sack you, right? That's the same thing we do in our modern day churches. The prophetic acts in the Old Testament were used to convey instructions to them because they did not have the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon them. So you always see the phrase in the Old Testament, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon. So you discover that Samson, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon him, and he will do mighty acts, and the Spirit will leave. But in the New Testament, the Spirit does not come upon us, the Spirit is in us. Are you following this? So God can communicate with us in clear terms. So that reduces the prophetic acts. Praise God. So... 1 Kings 11, 29. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Solite, met him on the way and he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. Verse 30. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. So the, the prophet wore the garment and tore the garment into 12 pieces. And what was he trying to typify here? That the nation was going to be torn into 12 um, places. Go to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 15. 1 Kings 12, 15. Are you there? Okay. 
So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite, to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Verse 16. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents, but Jeroboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. So this began the division. So let me explain something to you. If you did, if you start at chapter 11 and you did not read chapter 12, you will not realize that that tearing of the garments was actually typifying the division of the children of Israel. So you can just pick that and come to church one day and just decide that God is going to give you people 12 blessings for each month and just tear your garment. Do you, do you realize because that's what people do today? Do you, do you realize that? And confidently, you will show from the scripture that it is in the Bible. It's a prophetic act. Now, this is the challenge. This is easy to understand because it was just fulfilled in the next verse, the next chapter, sorry. But you realize that some of the prophetic acts in the scripture were not fulfilled immediately. Some were fulfilled in some books later. So that means that if you didn't have a a studious mind to go through the whole scripture, you might not even know that those things have been fulfilled. Are you following this? Let me tell you one goal you should set for yourself to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, at least in one year. Set that goal. Have, just have a general knowledge. Go through the whole of scriptures and you'll just begin to realize that some scriptures will begin to make sense to you. Praise God. Okay. Lastly, you must determine if the prophecy makes a specific announcement about Jesus Christ. So there are certain prophecies that talk about Jesus. I know most, we know a lot of them. Like when Isaiah said, the, um, a virgin shall conceive and give birth and the government shall be on his shoulders. We know that's talking about Jesus, right? In Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, we know that it was talking about John the Baptist and Jesus. Malachi 3 verse 1. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I send a messenger, and he will prepare the way before you. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the new covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord. Praise God. He's talking about the coming of Christ. Now, if you read this, you cannot use this to teach an eschatological coming. You cannot use this to teach that Jesus is coming again. Because this actually was referring to when he came to Israel. Right. This, Elijah was the last prophet before the Dark Ages. So between, between Malachi and Matthew, in churches there were 400 to 500 years of Dark Ages where there was no communication between God and man. You know, I've been thinking in my mind, what, what happened to those periods? What happened to those periods? And I was reading something in church history, and it just, damn, it just clarified how God has worked through history to preserve the word. So I'll just tell you a bit of it, two minutes. When the early church fathers, right, when the early church fathers began to talk about the canonization of scripture, putting put scriptures together, now they were, society began to, uh, a man called, there was the great persecution of Nero in, in, in AD 64 to AD 70, AD 70 was when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. But it was the great persecution of Nero in AD 64 to AD 70. And that's part of the persecution in which uh, Paul died and Peter was crucified upside down. And then Thomas 
went on to, to India. Thomas was killed with his spear. And uh, John was put in the pot of boiling oil and he didn't die. And then he was banished to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Now, when that period came and then the church fathers, Augustine, Origen, uh, Christoton, and all of those guys were writing, they felt that society was becoming too dangerous for them. So what happened is that they now separated themselves from society. And that was the beginning of um, monastery, living in monasteries. So people separated themselves not to be like joined to the world. So they separated themselves. And you know what I find interesting about that? It was through that separation that a lot of the things that the church fathers wrote and the scripture was preserved. So even though that there was a dark age and there was no communication between God and man, it's like by the Holy Ghost, it was <laughs> God arranged it in such a way that these things were preserved. And then we had the German press, uh, Gutenberg press, and then we had the, the, the reformation of Martin Luther that now made the, the, the scriptures available. So when the press came into, into play, and then Martin Luther nailed the 96 thesis on the door of the Roman Catholic Church, and from there, scriptures became what? Available to man again. What does that tell me? In all of history, we can see the finger of God behind the church. And as I'll tell you something conclusively tonight, nothing can destroy the church of God. It doesn't matter the persecution. It doesn't matter the attack. It doesn't matter <laughs> how many leaders fall. The church has gone through intense season of persecution, intense season of killings, intense season of denials, and the church has always survived. Praise God. Our responsibility is to just make sure that we're living by the word of God. God knows how to do what? To preserve his church. Praise God. All right, so you say a lot of scriptures there writing about Christ. Now, you can just take this table and that's for people who want to just study more. You can find the chronology of the prophets, the Assyrian age, the prophets that were in the Assyrian age, they wrote to Israel, they wrote to Judah, they wrote to foreign nations, like Jonah. Okay? Then the Babylonian age, the prophets that was there, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. Then you have the Persian age. Haggai, Obadiah, Zechariah, Joel, and what? And Malachi. Praise God. All right, so from uh, next Wednesday, we're now going into in-depth study of the book of Malachi. I'm seeing how we will not go that long, because uh, if we go by this division, to take us like another 10 Wednesdays, eh? maybe that's in December. I don't want people just coming to church and say, what's again? Malachi. Ah. <laughs> okay, so let's... Um, Next Wednesday, we're going to, this is the division. I want us to, we're going to study Malachi based on this outline, okay? So we're going to break it based on themes so we can understand it. So uh, on Wednesday, we're going to do the introduction and God's law for the people. So let's see how far we can go with that. We'll study Malachi chapter 1, verse 2 to 5. And then we'll study the honor of God. So I've broken it down in such a way that we can study it based on themes, okay? And then... Uh, we'll end with God's love for the remnants and the conclusion. So we'll see how it, it goes. So what I want you to do, um, go read the book of Malachi again. Read it over and over and over again. And um, it's just four chapters, so you can read it every day from beginning to end, every day from beginning to end, every day from beginning to end. And for between now and Wednesday, you can read it almost eight times. Okay? So we're going to build on Malachi chapter one next Wednesday. Have you been blessed today? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
pray that your word will come forth with light and we pray that this that this word will just go forth into the nations and be of a blessing in jesus mighty name we pray amen Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.